Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. Thank you for braving the weather. Wow! What ha- we had this like lovely winter, right? And now it's gone, all right? And we were driving to 10 miles an hour, but it's fine. We're here. No need to be a hero. I'm glad you're here. Well, one of my goals for 2020 is to become a better conversationalist. And so as I work to do that, I'm learning that there are these levels that kind of conversations happen at, right? And like, I didn't go to school for psychology, so this is just like my views from the cheap seats, okay? There's like an emotional level, and then there's a level at which things are said. So there's the words that are said, and then beneath that, there's this emotional level happening. Like, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Have you ever been at a party where you're talking, you're telling a story, and as soon as these words leave your mouth, you know, like, oh, that wasn't quite what I wanted to say. That's not totally true. That's coming out wrong. And you feel those words leave in your mouth, and, and you can't take it back. They're out there. And as, before you can even do anything, before you can make sense of what happened, that person just jumps they're like, well, actually, you know, that you know that feeling. They just jump. And they, they tell you what was wrong about what you said, uh, what was right, what you, you know, what you should have said. And then they make some comment about how they can't believe that you think the way you do. And if you're like me, you know, you're committed to truth. You want to be correct. You want to be factual. And so you probably respond like this. Yes. Thank you. I love truth. I love being correct, so this is super helpful. I'm so glad you're committed to truth like I am, and so thank you. This is really great. That's not how we respond. You know that. It's because there's these two levels happening in conversations. There's the the facts, and then beneath the facts, that whole world of our emotions. Emotions aren't bad. We're human beings, and we bring those into conversations, and that makes conversations difficult sometimes. So this morning, we're going to have a difficult conversation. We're going to be talking about one of the hardest things, I think, to have a conversation about today, and that's marriage. See, it's hard to talk about marriage because we all have different stories. We're all coming at this this thing called marriage from different places. Some of us are happily married. Some of us, we're married. Some of us grew up in homes where our parents modeled this beautiful, safe, loving relationship. And some of us grew up in homes where we didn't see that at all. We just thought everybody fought like this. We couldn't wait to get out of the house. Some of us are single and want to be married. And some of us are single and we're happy. And we want everyone to stop making us feel like this other Like we're somehow less than. Some of us love our partners more than they love us. And some of us are loved by our partners more than we love them. Some of us are widowed. Some of us are divorced. Some of us have experienced infidelity in our marriages. Some of us have had marriages that have been rocked by abuse. Marriage. It's complicated. It's complicated because we're complicated. 
And the passage that we come to today is just two verses. In these two little verses, Jesus is unpacking what marriage in the kingdom is like. And if I'm being honest with you this morning, if we read those verses, it sounds kind of harsh. Like Jesus makes it sound like the whole goal of marriage for a follower of Jesus is just don't get divorced. Whatever you do, do not get divorced. He says this, he says, hey, if, if you divorce somebody and marry someone else, you're an adulterer. Oh, and if you marry someone who's been in a divorce, you're an adulterer as well. Next topic. It's like, whoa, what? What's happening here? Like, what's going on? And so we're going to read this passage And we're going to try to unpack what Jesus is saying. But before we do, I just want you to hear me loudly and clearly. I'm a mess. All right? I am not someone who's up here saying like, hey, I have arrived. I have it all together. I get it. And here's just my cliff notes. You're welcome. I'm in this with you. And and I I don't have it all through. I don't have all the answers. And and if you question whether or not that's true, there's a lovely lady sitting over there, and she'd be happy to tell you that, yes, it is true. I'm a mess. And so I just need to ask your forgiveness up front. I'm going to say things that I'm just unaware of your story. I'm going to say things that may rub you the wrong way. I'm not going to do this perfectly. But Jesus feels strongly about marriage, and he steps into this awkward space And he's here with us. And he steps into this space because he believes so strongly of what marriage can communicate. See, Jesus is speaking harshly in this passage. And that's actually a really good sign for us. 90% of the time, 90% of the time when the Bible is harsh, it's speaking to one specific group of people. Religious hypocrites. See, If you are here this morning and you are living in the pain of decisions that you have made, or maybe you're here this morning and you're living in the pain of decisions others have made that have impacted you, the Bible does not come at you guns a-blazing. The the message for those who feel that pain is not shame. Uh, The Bible speaks very directly toward people who claim to know better and then weaponize the Bible to do what they want and make others feel bad in the process. That's exactly who Jesus is talking about. He's trying to talk to people who had twisted the Bible and twisted marriage to serve their own selfish ends. They should have known better, but they, they didn't. They just, they just went guns ablazing, did their own thing, and they left a wake of destruction in, in, behind them. And so Jesus is standing up and saying, enough, enough is enough. He's trying to move these men, because it was men, away from this consumeristic idea of like, hey, I'll love you so long as you have something to offer me. I'll love you. you hey, be with me, be for me, and I'll let that relationship happen as long as it's beneficial for me. But here's what Jesus says marriage is. Marriage is a place where we learn to love someone and we are with them. Marriage is a place where we love them and we're with them. We love them and we are for them. And then we are with them and for them for forever. That's what, that's what God's intention is because that's how he loves his people. And marriage is meant to be an expression and an understanding of how we work that love from our heads to our bodies. 
We get boots on the ground real here. And so we're going to read this passage. And it's been our habit around here. We want to be thankful for God's word. So I'm going to read these two short verses. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And you can reply, thanks be to God. And then I'm going to pray and ask for his help. All right, so we're in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 31. I'm going to read it, and we're going to pray. Matthew 5, 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of the Lord. Let's ask for his help. Father, marriage is hard. Marriage is hard because life is hard. Father, no one in this room gets out of marriage scar-free. So Father, I pray for help this morning. I pray that we would see your love at work in our marriages. That it's not simply about avoiding divorce, but it's about living in a space where we learn that you are with us, for us, and you are with us and for us forever. I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Uh, I have two boys, um, but when Amy and I first got married, I didn't necessarily want to have kids. We waited a little bit of time to have kids, and we started making friends with people who their kids were older. Some of our friends had adult kids. And I was looking around, and I was like, yikes, this is not all it's cracked up to be. This is hard, right? Like, you pour your love into somebody, and then they just want money from you. They, they are act hurtfully. They leave you. It's just a totally thankless investment. And so I was like, hey, I haven't jumped into this yet. Maybe I don't have to. This might be great. Let's just let's not do this, maybe. And, and I say that because I, rem- I had a, a wild experience when I held both of my boys in my hands for the first time. And I remember this because it happened to both of them, and I was like, oh wait, this is familiar. And it was the same two thoughts I had. The very first thought I had when I was, hol- when I was holding those, this little, little person in my arms, I thought, man, I did not think it was possible I mean, people tell you, like, oh, you don't know you can love this person that much. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But wow, I did not think it was possible to just love a stranger. This, you're going to be nasty to me. You're going you're gonna to say all kinds of mean things. Oh, my gosh. I love you so much. And then this second thought hit me. Are you serious, God? God, you say you're like a father to me whoa, is, is this, what? This is how you love me? That's amazing. And, and here's what marriage is supposed to be. Marriage is supposed to be that with another stranger, with an other. It's supposed to be a place where we learn experientially, where this truth gets worked out from our heads. Yeah, God loves us. Yes, he's with me. He's for me. But we get to live that out with another person and really work it into our bodies. Experience that. That truth can invade our whole lives. So we're not like partialed out here. It's not like we say we believe one thing. Like, yeah, we believe God is with us and for us. And I'm just all by myself out here in the woods. 
But God puts someone in our life so we can experience that love in a real and rich way. And I know what you're thinking. If you're here and you're single or you're here and you're divorced, you're like, well, what about me? You're saying I can't experience that love? Here's life-giving hope. These words were spoken by a guy who was single his whole life, never had a girlfriend. No matter what Dan Brown says, Dan Brown was not a historian. The Da Vinci Code is a garbage book anyway. Not true. And furthermore, if you need more convincing, the New Testament was written by a guy also single. You can live a full, happy, whole, whole life. You are not some sub-citizen being single. But for those of us who enter into marriage, it's an opportunity for us to work these truths out deeper into our bones. And that's why Jesus is livid here. He's livid here because he's talking to a group of people who had turned marriage from being this thing where we learn and experience that type of love into a a consumerism. And here's what was happening. Jesus says here in verse 31, he says, if you want to get a divorce, you need to present a certificate of divorce. One of the super cool things from archaeology is we found a ton of these certificates of divorce. And we found out that people were getting divorced in that day for totally bonkers reasons. So we found some of these certificates of divorce, and I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating and making a point. One of the the, the certificates says this, I, so-and-so, am divorcing my wife because I didn't like the meal she made last week. And like, these were not just like average Joes doing this. These were the Pharisees. So there's this guy named Josephus. Man, just total side note here for a second that we're going to take a little rabbit trail. We're going to chase a rabbit for a second. If you're here this morning, you're investigating Christianity, you're not sure what you think about it, you need to find out about this guy, Josephus. He's totally baller. He's not a Christian, okay? He lived a little after Jesus and he was a historian. And he says wild things that we have to deal with. He says things like, Hey, so there was this guy, Jesus of Nazareth. He did miracles, uh, and the Romans killed him, but his followers claim he raised from the dead. That's a guy outside of the New Testament who wrote a historical document that was largely uncontested for hundreds of years saying things about Jesus that your Bible says. Super fascinating. Back to our regularly scheduled program, though. Josephus, writing out about his life, he was a Pharisee. He wrote his autobiography. So a Pharisee, person who loves the Bible, teaches the Bible. He says this, I was married to this woman... She was okay, but when I was married to her, my life was kind of miserable. So I dumped her, and I married someone who was from status. She was from a wealthy family in Egypt, and now my life is totally awesome. And you're just like, seriously? This is like, this is someone who should know better. What in the world's going on? Well, what was happening was, these people were twisting Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24 lays out divorce laws, and Moses makes this statement. He says this, if your wife does something to you that's it's not pleasing, you can give her a certificate of divorce. And so they took that verse, ripped it out of its context, and were like, see, if, if my wife does something that's not pleasing, like this meal, she's out. But if you keep reading, it's very clear that what she did that was unpleasing was infidelity. And the law is actually set up to protect the woman so that she can be taken care of even in the midst of being cut off from wealth. Because that's why Jesus feels so strongly about this. If you're treating people like commodities, like, hey, as long as you have something to offer me, then we can make this relationship work. That's super destructive, especially in his time. See, if you were a woman in first century Palestine, unless you were independently wealthy, 
If you get a divorce, that is a death sentence. You are signing up for a life of poverty. You got no one, there's no safety net. Nobody's going to take care of you. It's totally destructive. And how did you get this death sentence? You made a meal wrong. Jesus is ticked. He, like, this is the, there's a bunch of, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and this one is different. He doesn't say you've heard it said, like, he's not affirming, hey, this is scripture. He just says, it's been said. He's not even dignifying this, like, yeah, this is scripture. He's like, look, you guys have this idea. It's totally bonkers. Somebody said it, and he's here to correct that. He's here to move us away from, hey, I'm married to you because you make me look good. And you're like, well, that doesn't happen today. No. Old guys don't dump their wives for hotter, newer models. That never happens, right? We totally live in the same world of this consumerism where it's, hey, whatever you can offer me, I'm down. And look, Jesus is, is he's trying to protect. He's working so hard to protect. That, that, like, there's, it's not saying that there aren't monsters out there. It's not saying that you can find yourself married to a monster and don't get away from them. Like the irony of this passage is that this passage was originally, Jesus is saying it to protect people because we had, scripture had been twisted to harm innocent people. And this passage likewise has been twisted as well and has harmed women specifically. So uh, a couple years ago, a prominent evangelical leader got in trouble because a woman came to him with a black eye. Her husband had been beating her up. And informed by passages like this, this leader said, hey, go back. You know, divorce is wrong. You got to go back to that guy. She came back to church, as the story goes, with two black eyes. But her husband was with her. And he's like, see, God works in mysterious ways. That's wicked. Like, you just need to hear me say, that is wicked. The Bible's not talking about like, hey, Things don't go wrong in marriage. Things can't get broken, and you shouldn't feel bad stepping out of that relationship. Jesus lists one of those examples right here, sexual immorality. He's like, hey, somebody, some relationships can be broken. Paul talks about other ones, abandonment in 1 Corinthians. So don't hear Jesus say, like, hey, you're stuck. What he's trying to fight against is this consumerism. And he's trying to say this. Like he's trying to say, hey, marriage is so important. I'm willing to fight for it. And here's what he's saying. Marriage is not simply about avoiding divorce. Marriage is not simply about avoiding divorce. It's so much richer and truer than that. Marriage is about experiencing God's love with another person in a way that we are with them. We are for them, and then we are with them and for them forever. That's what the, the battle cry of marriage in the kingdom is. I am with you, I am for you, I am with you, and for you forever. Yeah, but how in the world do we do that? Like, that's super easy to say. Like, hey, honey, I love you. I'm with you, for you, with you, and for you forever. I was told to say that. Uh, goodbye. How do we actually work this out? How do we work this out from our hearts into our bodies? Well, it's going to take some planning. It's going to take some real boots on the ground, us doing things, even when we don't feel like it, even if we feel like, this is just, what am I, why am I investing so much in this? This doesn't feel like it's making any difference at all. So I think there's three things we can do to make this truth a reality in our hearts so we experience it together. First thing, 
Plan to set aside time with your partner. Plan to set aside time with your partner. I've quoted this in here before, but it's worth saying again. The theologian Mike Tyson once said, everybody has a plan until, what? They get punched in the face. If you do not plan, if we don't plan to set aside time with our partner, we will not have time with our partner. We may be able to affirm, yes, I believe I am with you. I am totally with you. But unless we schedule time where we are, hey, this is our time. We're putting it in the calendar. If there's an emergency, call the doctor. Sorry, we are not available. This is our time. If we don't schedule that, if we don't plan that, life happens. It just never ends up happening. If you don't plan ahead to set aside time to really be with your partner, you won't be. And then what's going to happen? You're going to be married to a stranger. So like, how in the world do we do this? I'm, I'm saying yes, specifically. Get together with your partner. Open your calendars and saying, this time, this is our time. Kids, you've got to find something to do. This is our time. For some of us, you can call that a date night and say, oh, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is our date night. Here we go. But for some of us, if we call it a date night, it's going to put this pressure of like, oh my gosh, it has to be the most romantic thing ever. I've got to rent an airplane and they've got to write I heart you over our house. Oh my gosh, I have to do this? Like, oh my gosh. Whatever works for you in the season of life you're in, but you must plan ahead. If we don't plan ahead, we won't do it. And, and it must be a regular rhythm, like a weekly event, every other week. Because here's the thing, if it's like, hey, honey, our date night is going to be the second Monday of every month, but only months that are named after Roman gods, not Greek gods, you're going to totally, it's just going to go by. It needs to be accessible. It needs to be a plan. We, without plans, things fall apart. Here's one of just my struggles and challenges with how we do marriage in the church. So we invest a ton of time in you right before you get married. So premarital counseling. If you do premarital counseling with me, we're meeting every week for eight weeks, and there's a ton of homework, all right? Ain't nobody get a free hall pass. It's a lot of work, all right? We put this, all this energy into you right before you get married. You get married, we set you loose into the wild. Well, like, hey, good luck. And then we only see you again when conflict has taken your relationship to the breaking point. Where it's like, woof, this is really rough. We need to stop doing that. We need to plan to set aside time to cultivate this with this, withness about our partner. Like, learn to be with your partner and learn also to ask for help. I mean, like, it is not a sign of weakness to say, like, hey, right now, this isn't going quite how I want it to. We're not quite making the marriage I, I want to make. Let's ask for help. That's why at this church we are committed to, we have a marriage class. And there's Gene's email is going to be on the screen. If you email Gene, they would love, Gene would love to plug you into that class. And what that is, is like we want to like, hey, let's come in from the wild for a little bit and let's work on things. Let's ask questions. Look, the people leading that class, 
I'm not going to say they're old, but like combined, they have, there's got to be like a hundred years of marriage in like the leaders combined, okay? And that's amazing. There's a ton of wisdom. You can come along from people who've seen what you're walking through before and can be just like a gentle, like, oh man, we've totally seen that. And you can get help. And that's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of planning. We want to be a place where we're like, hey, we all need help. Like, no one is nailing this. Marriage is hard, and life is hard. Look, two strangers getting together and doing life together, yeah, that's a recipe for hard times. Inviting other people to say, hey, come help us. We need help is not a sign of weakness. The marriage class, it meets here, Sundays, 9.15 a.m. And so, like, plan ahead. We need to cultivate this withness. And if, if this is like, if this is new for you, if you don't have a regular scheduled time, like, hey, this is my night with my partner, no matter what happens, even if it's, it falls on like a night where the Tennessee Titans are playing, like we're not going to watch that game. We are together. This is sacred. We don't mess with this. If that's new to you, I want to just like give you a throwdown challenge for the first time you do it. Make your first with us night a screen-free event. I love movies. I'm not anti-movie at all. I love good television. It's really hard to talk to Amy, though, when like something awesome is happening on screen. It's really hard to talk to her, get to know her, to listen, to feel her presence when people are constantly texting. Make this night a screen-free time. Practice being with your partner. And like one of two things is going to happen. First time you do it, you're going to like, oh my gosh, I am married to a stranger. It's been a while since I checked in. I had no idea. Lots happened since I was here last. Or it's going to be like, man, this was so refreshing. Oh, we need to do this more. Either way, it's exciting, right? You could be married to a stranger. That's kind of exotic, right? That's exciting. (laughs) Or it's going to reveal things you need to work on. And we all have things. We are in this together. I'm not giving you cliff notes from a successful life. I'm someone that's in this with you. So if we're going to experience marriages where we are with our partners, we need to plan ahead. Now, the second thing we need to do is going to sound like I don't listen to myself, and it's the opposite. We need to plan to set aside time from our partners. So first, we need to plan to be with our partners. We need to make it a plan. Secondly, we need to make a plan to spend time away from your partner. Why in the world would I say that? Captain Marvel is super awesome. She's like a juggernaut, all right? I have no, like, it was kind of lame that, like, Marvel put her in a movie. It's like, what? Who can hurt her? She's in, she just shows up and just, just, like, messes through things. No one can stop her. Amazing. Superman, also super awesome. The dude, Kryptonite is lame, okay? He's strengthened by the sun, okay? He just needs to get in sunlight, and nothing can stop this guy, right? You know who's not Captain Marvel, and you know who's not Superman? Your spouse, all right? We are married to people who are human beings, people who have pain, people who don't always have the answers. And if we are constantly like, hey, I need you to be with me. I need you to be for me. I need you to listen really well right now. I need you to have all the right answers. Don't say the wrong thing. Say exactly what I need to hear when I need to hear it. That's a lot of pressure on someone. We need to invest in our partner's growth. That's going to look like giving them time to grow. That's going to look like celebrating, hey, I want you to flourish. So go take this time and grow. 
Like, that's going to look like, for some of us, maybe there's a stay-at-home parent in your relationship, and the working partner coming home and saying, like, hey, I'm going to come home for my lunch right now. I'm going to give you the hour, okay? Just go. Go to a coffee shop, read, invest in your growth. It's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take planning. But again, if we don't plan ahead for this, what happens? Life happens. But we need to plan ahead to invest in your spouse, Because we're not married to Captain Marvel or to Superman. We break down. And we need to say, like, I'm here for you. I am for you. I want you to thrive. For some of us, that may look like a monetary investment. Like, hey, I want you to be, I want you to be healthy emotionally. Hey, take this money. We're going to save ahead. We're going to plan ahead. And I want you to do something that just makes you happy. So, hey, you need to just have a night where you go to the movies by yourself. We're going to set aside that money in the budget. You go do that because I love you and I'm for you. And man, if this is what gives you energy, I am so pumped up about that. See, codependency is a type of consumerism. Codependency says like, hey, I can't be me unless you're always here. We need to stop that type of consumerism. We need to communicate to our spouse, yes, I'm with you, I'm also for you. You need to have both of those things together. It can't just be always with, and it can't just be always for. We need to be both with and for our partner. The last thing we need to do is we need to be with our partner and for our partner, and we need to be with our partner and for our partner for forever. How in the world? Do you do that? Do you just white-knuckle it and say, like, here we go, it's a long time. Look, we totally celebrate milestone anniversaries. Like, 50 years, that's beautiful. 45 years, that's amazing. We celebrate that, that's awesome. But it's not just the point to get to those milestones and you're like, oh, I can't stand each other. Like, yeah, we didn't get a divorce. I almost killed her, but I I wouldn't divorce her. It's not the goal just to be together. It's to be with her, for her, with him, for him, for forever, committed to the long haul. That takes us prioritizing retreats together. We need to plan time away. We need to prioritize, hey, we're going to unplug together and we're going to reflect a little bit. So we're going to go away from the demands that are on us, the busyness. We're going to get out of the river for a minute And we're just going to think, man, we were just through a tough season. What did we learn from that? How did it change us? Man, we're we're changing in the season. Let's let's get away together. Plan, journal, write things down. What did we just walk through? Man, we sent our kids off to college. That was harder than I thought. I'm a different person now. We had to put our parents in a nursing home. Man, that changed me. How can I be there for you? We need to prioritize retreat. We need to get away from the busyness of life. We need to make it a regular rhythm as well because life happens. Look, when you said I do, that roller coaster left the station. You are on the ride right now. Do you like it? See, if you never take time away to reflect and to plan, you're just going around corners. You have no idea what's going on. But we need to take time away And just say, hey, what did we just walk through? Hey, what's ahead of us? Let's plan for the future as well. What do we want this year to look like? 
What are just some tangible small goals we can set together? We need to prioritize getting together. Starley Kine uh, was a writer, and she had never experienced a breakup before. Uh, She was writing for This American Life, and so she did uh, what most writers do when they experience a breakup. She's like, I'm going to write a song about it, and it's going to be the most epic love song ever. It's going to be the greatest breakup song ever. I'm going to be a breakup song hero. She didn't let the fact that she had no musical ability hold her back either. She was like, I'm going to do this. So she started researching breakup songs, and she realized, like, man, this is, like, a harder thing than I thought it was. So she started researching, like, like my, one of my favorite songs uh, by my favorite country singer is Bonnie, Bonnie Raitt, and the song is um, I Can't Make You Love Me. Have you heard it? It's like, I can't make you love me. You know, it's awesome. Beautiful song. Go look it up. Bonnie Vare covers it. It's awesome, right? Well, as she was researching breakup songs, she learned that, like, uh, that song was written, the two people that wrote it, um, they were watching the news, and this guy, his girlfriend, uh, had left him and was with her new boyfriend, and so he shot up their car, killed them both. And while he was getting his sentencing, the judge said, hey, did you learn anything from this whole process? And he said, yep, I learned you can't make someone love you when they don't. She's like, how in the world am I supposed to compete with that? How am I supposed to write a breakup song? So she did what any of us would do in that situation. She used her connections, and she reached out to the chief, the greatest, the, the par excellence breakup song writer, Phil Collins. For those of you who don't know, Phil Collins was the drummer of Genesis. He has been through not one, not two, but three divorces. And at the time, his divorces had cost him more than anyone else, uh, any other rock star, even more than Paul McCartney's. He had paid $46 million in divorce settlements. And so she reached out to him, and she did an interview with him, saying like, hey, after your first divorce, you wrote some of the greatest breakup songs ever. How did you do it? What did you learn from that experience? And he said, yeah, so I, I wrote, how can, you, how can I just let you walk away? And he said, I wouldn't have been able to write that song had I not gone through the pain of divorce. Had I not had my heart ripped out, I wouldn't have been able to write these words. How can I just let you walk away? Just leave without a trace. When I stand here taking every breath with you, you're the only one who really knew me at all. He said, I had to feel that and I couldn't write it. But then he said this. He said, one of the things I learned from this experience is that that song isn't really true. When he says, how can I just let you walk away? He said, I learned she didn't walk away. Our lives were so intertwined. We had kids together. She may have walked away, but then I walked with her to soccer games. I walked with her to kids' recitals. We were still a part of each other's life. And it was incredibly painful. And he said this, more painful than any of the money I've ever lost in divorce settlements was having to say, hey, you're the only one who really knew me at all, and you're gone. Jesus is trying to desperately protect us. He's coming down hard on people who have turned marriage into this consumer good Because he knows that when people join their lives together, it is unbelievably painful ripping them apart. Yes, there are times when divorce is actually a good thing. There are times when you need to get away from the monsters. It does not always take two to tango, okay? 
But when divorce is thrown around as an option for like, hey, you're not meeting my needs, and if you don't start, I'm out. Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 you can't do that. We can't live like that. When you live like that, you're communicating that that's how I love you. I don't love you like that. Jesus says, I am with you, I am for you, and I am with you, and I am for you for forever. So you can love this person, even though they're really hard to love. You can love them because your ability, your, your receiving love is not dependent on that person. I love you. And I am trying to work this out in you and in them for each other's redemption, but it doesn't depend on your ability to nail it. We don't have to just be afraid of divorce. We can embrace marriage because marriage is not just about avoiding divorce. It's about creating a love for someone that says, I'm with you. Presence. I'm for you. Priority and posture. And I am with you and I am for you for forever. Perseverance. A love that says like, hey, I'm not going to leave you. Creates safety. And we are loved from a place of safety so we can love someone regardless of if it's given back to us or not. We are loved by a God who entered our world, became with us, who gave us his son, and now we experience only pleasure from the Father. He is for us. He is for our good. And he's going to get us to the end, regardless of if you're married, if you're divorced, or anywhere in between. We experience this love and it moves deeper in marriage, not taken away. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love that you've given us. I pray that it would move from our heads, from where we're just affirming, yes, yes, God is with me and he's for me. But it would move into our bodies, that our behavior would change because we really do believe this. We believe that you really love us and so that we would love our partners. Father, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.